1: That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T dot com. Let the next 60 minutes inspire, motivate, and encourage you to become your own best version. Now, here's Cynthia.
2: Well, thank you for joining me today. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversation with Cynthia, and I am very excited that you are here today. I have two very special guests with me um, because we are doing this four-part series on breast cancer. And it is an educational process as well as certainly inspirational motivational. And the first one that we are starting today is called Facing Breast Cancer. And so I have two women on today that not only have faced it, but also are very, very active out in the battle against breast cancer. So my first guest is Paula Miller, and she is a community outreach and patient resource manager. She's a certified breast navigator and breast advocate at the Honor Health Breast Health and Research Center in Phoenix, and she meets with newly diagnosed patients and their co-survivors or families. She's also the program manager for support groups, wellness programs, and resources. However, she brings as well a very personal experience of being a breast cancer survivor as well to her position, and she's currently finishing her bachelor's degree in healthcare administration. But her best accomplishments are being a wife of 20 years and a mother to two amazing children. So, Paula, thank you for being here today. Good morning. Thanks
3: for having me. I'm excited.
2: And your very good comrade, Jan James, which I've known Jan for quite some time. And I just recently met Paula, which I'm very excited about. But, Jan, I've known you for a while. And Jan is also a breast cancer survivor and the founder of The Provision Project, a nonprofit organization it has its mission to provide financial relief to women in active treatment for breast cancer. And soon after Jan was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2012, she founded a private online breast cancer support group, which now numbers over 600 women in nine countries. Amazing. So through that support group, she and her leadership team have also become intimately aware of the ways in which breast cancer can impact a woman's life physically, mentally, emotionally, socially, and certainly financially. And so the Provision Project wants to help women who face tough financial decisions as they are actively being treated for breast cancer. So Jan, I'm so glad you're here today.
4: I am as well. Thank you for and having I us. And I
2: congratulate you both. I, I mean, you're heroes. You really are heroes. I, I, I'm, I'm amazed at your stories. So I'm very glad you're here. And just listeners, so that you know, this wonderful four, four-part series we are doing today is about This whole facing the issue of breast cancer, if you have a a woman in your life or a man in your life that is having to face this, this this show is going to be extremely helpful. If you are having to face this, this show will be very helpful with lots of resources for you. The second part of this is going to be um, the many faces of breast cancer. Well, I think we have someone's phone ringing, so we'll ignore that for a minute. On the many faces of breast cancer, we are going to talk specifically about women that have survived breast cancer. The third one that we are going to do is going to be on caregiver and compassion fatigue. And so we are going to work on how we handle if we are a caregiver and how we make sure that we do not face burnout. And the fourth one we are going to do is the issues of grief and loss and understanding what those stages are and what happens when we have to face something that is this life threatening and sometimes can also be fatal. So thank you again for being here today. So, so let me start here, Paula, with you, because I had you on Blog Talk Radio last week. That was fun. So good. I think it went very well, and we've had some great uh, reviews about that. So why don't you give the, the, the listeners just an idea of what you do, what you have done, and I certainly want to hear some of your story.
3: I'm exhausted. Okay. <laughs> From my long introduction. <laughs> my introduction, you both took
2: about 10 minutes. No, that's okay. I was telling Dan, I'm
3: like, boy, that's a long title for such a little person being only five foot four. But that's okay. God must have known I could carry a little bit of the load. But um, so my personal story kind of leads into my my position and um, where I'm at. Um, I was 35 when I was diagnosed with triple negative BRCA1 uh, stage 3 breast cancer. Um my husband and I were new believers and um wow. we had he had just been uh, healed of alcoholism
2: and uh I So you came through one major battle before you started on a new one We came through 13 wow. years of
3: one marriage into another and then said, "Okay, God, you're really who you are. Use me for something different." And he went Oh, hold on. <laughs> and uh I was diagnosed. So I went through all my treatments um you know, eight months of chemotherapy, 32 radiation, reconstruction, oophorectomy, hysterectomy, because I'm a BRCA1
2: carrier. Can you, before, let me interrupt you for a minute. Oh, sure. Because when people, I, you're I just a, that's people the don't first know. <laughs> time I, when you, when I talked to you last week, that was the first time I heard BRCA1.
3: So everyone's heard of the Angelina Jolie yes. gene, BRCA1, BRCA2, brca two, Those are the most common genes tested, especially for young women that have a link of breast cancer. Um. So that's the most common. There's about 30 other ones that you can actually test for. So it's kind of important to not rule out um, any other kind of gene if you have a big family history. And really important to talk to a genetic counselor about that. Um, so that just means I have a mutation where my DNA structurally is has a gap. Or basically I'm just not smart. And my DNA is not smart enough to say, hey, you're not a normal cell. And... Um, I got to get rid of you. Uh, It kind of restructures and rethinks it and says, let's encourage it. Let's let's let it keep growing. Let's let's live together. Yeah. (laughs) You know, when I speak, especially when I speak to high schoolers and college kids, I always say, you know, we all have that one friend who is that friend and you have a party and somebody invited that friend. I'm not smart enough to kick that guy out, and he ruins Uh. my apartment. (laughs) See, so everybody gets it, and if you don't get it, you're that friend, so just be aware. (laughs) But um, So that's kind of the idea behind um, genetic mutation for the BRCA1 and 2. Um, Generally, that's something that they test for right off the bat. Again, especially for young women, we're talking 45 and younger, that's slowly moving to 50, so 50 is the new young. For all of you who are fifty, but um, so it's just really important. That sets a whole guideline of what your next surgical steps going to be and what would be best for you, as well as long term prevention, got it. screenings, those sort of things. Okay. So I could get really you know, so you got genetically so you had, nerdy so with it all. You
2: had to go through your whole entire battle, and then you ended up working in the field.
3: I did actually. Um, someone that um, I currently work with had actually who diagnosed me was watching my uh, blog sites, my just following my journey and watching it. And all of a sudden it came up of, hey, you know, there's this great marketing position coming up. I never did marketing, whatever. Um, and they just said, hey, you want to you wanna just come join the team and give it a try and see where it leads? I went, sure. So I did a community education. I was just basically pushing women to do their self-exams, pushing women to get their mammograms. Um, Educating, and then it just developed into a patient care scenario where, now I'm blessed enough to meet with every um, woman who gets diagnosed with breast cancer through our particular facility. And, so,
2: so when were you when were you told you were in remission? I think that's what what we say. Is that um, is that correct? Yeah,
3: I call myself cured. Okay. Um, many people don't like to use that word. Okay, but I use that word. Um, when I was in my sixth treatment. Of chemotherapy, I had neoadjuvant or beginning before. Um, I had a PET scan about chemo six. I still I had eight total, and they couldn't find evidence of disease on the PET scan. And so I finished my chemotherapy. There was a little bit in there when I had my surgery, um, but you know that's out and that's gone. And I've had no issues. So I'm going on seven years this August. So Congratulations. I call myself cured. I actually had one doctor. Um, who said twice to me, how you doing? Good, good, good. I think she forgot, you know, my diagnosis. or She was my oncologist to start with, <laughs> but twice she said, oh, you're cured. But don't tell anybody I said that. People don't like that word. I said, oh, honey, you know I like that word, so I'm going to. So, yeah, um, I was blessed enough
2: to be cured of it, and wow. um, I'm holding to that. That's wonderful. Now, when you say surgery, you had to also go have a mastectomy as well? Double mastectomy wow. reconstruction. Okay. Yeah,
3: yeah. Um, so t- In total, it was about 15 months from day diagnosis. Now, would you say that short
2: or long or average? Everybody's different. Okay. Um, Everybody's
3: really different. You know, I was blessed enough to not have any major issues, side effects, hospitalizations, um, minor infection, things like that. Other people, you know, their struggles can be a little bit more challenging
2: I'm a little bit more um, complicated. Absolutely. Right.
3: And so you just you know, I ch- I chalk it up to pregnancy. So if you've ever been pregnant, you kind of get it. We all got pregnant different. We all carry different and we all give birth different. Same thing. Everyone finds their cancer uniquely to themselves. It's structured uniquely to themselves and with patient-centered care, we're able to treat it to that particular person. Science has come a long way even in 7 years since I've been diagnosed. So we're really able to personalize the medicine when it comes specifically to breast cancer. Um, and people have to remember that and have be patient with that because I know just in the women we talk to and meet and with each other, you want to know as much as you can. And just like pregnancy, you get the, oh, it's easy. You'll be fine. And then you get the, oh, my gosh, I right, was so right. sick. And it's like, oh, slow down. Right. There's no way that I can write out what your story is going to be or how you're going to react. So we're going to get a focus. We're going to get a goal. And I think that's one of the biggest things that I think women and men need to remember is pick a goal. Your next goal is that next doctor's appointment. We're going to focus on that, and then we're going to regurgitate what they say and pick another goal. And so your, your goals might be very short. They might be day-to-day, minute-to-minute, but they do get longer. They do spread out, and, you know, now my goals are a year, two years, five years. It just kind of depends on what it is. So you got to get past that process. And then see the hope and the light towards the end of the tunnel. But keep those short-term right. goals; they're important.
2: Well, we have about a minute left, so if and we're gonna we're gonna open the next segment with Jan and her story. So give us about a minute of what you do now in current time. So I'm a
3: patient navigator. I meet with all the newly diagnosed women um, and their families. I do education on surgical procedures and such through a program that um, my colleague at work developed. Um, I just kind of hope to share the hope of you know how good things can be and for me how my faith is really what got us through and just how it can be challenging to remember and hear that the lord's right there but walking you through it and um you know i just want to be a hope That's you know
2: it. i think it's hard for for listeners or anybody that has not experienced breast cancer or been with someone when they hear your stories you're so together you guys look great you know, you're doing life. And I think that's what we're going to really talk about this week and next week is really helping people understand that this is a horrific, horrific issue. This is, a, this is an assault on a woman's body that is uh, unprecedented in many ways. And here you are living, doing life, and God has blessed you tremendously. And so I'm, I'm encouraged to have you here today. So this is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next segment as we talk with Jan James about the many, the, the facing breast cancer and what that means. I hear the whispers in my well, welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia. This is Cynthia Hyatt. And as always, I'm so glad that you've joined me today. And I have very special people on my show today. I have Paula Miller and Jan James. And both of these women have courageously... Um, battled breast cancer and have quite a story and are here to really talk about it. And so today we are talking about facing that diagnosis and facing breast cancer, what it means when you have been diagnosed with that and what you start to, to in the very beginning, have to face and how daunting maybe it can feel. And so we listened to Paula and a lot of her story and what she's doing actually as a living. And I'm going to have Jan talk for just five, six, seven, ten, twenty five. 10, 25 Fifty minutes, yeah. (laughs) You have a great, (laughs) amazing story. So Jan, just say hi to the listeners and give us a little bit about who you are.
4: Well, let's see. (laughs) Um, So I was diagnosed uh, when I was 52 in 2012 and a little bit older than my friend Paula. Um, I had just lost a bunch of weight and I was actually in a hotel room in Texas when I was in the shower and soaped up, and my hand just happened to hit my breast in a certain way, and I went, well, that feels funny. And um, I walked out of the bathroom and said to my husband, I think I have a lump in my breast. And that began the journey. Um, There was a glorious sunrise that morning that I took a picture of that God gave to me. And um, that particular day, I really knew in my spirit that I had breast cancer. And um, I also got a whisper from God that it would be a journey I'd never trade, and that has certainly been um, wow. His promise kept. So. Um Trying to think about where I would go from now, here. Now, that sounds
2: like the title of a good book, too.
4: <laughs> a journey I would
2: never try. Yeah, we were
4: just talking wow. about writing books. Who knows what God will have us do? But, yeah. <laughs> so, um, let's see. I got diagnosed in January, officially diagnosed. And then um, I had my mastectomy, in a single mastectomy in February, and was just about ready to start chemo. And I had a bunch of questions about chemo. And I also had 10 girlfriends that had been through breast cancer before. Wow. So I decided to get my questions answered. It was two days before I started chemo, March twenty first in twenty twelve, when I started a secret safe Facebook page called Booby Buddies. And it was that was literally the name that I put on it and We, You know, it was kind of a half of a joke and that kind of thing. It was me and my girlfriends, and I started to ask questions. And those goofballs started to invite newly diagnosed girls one by one. And now we have over 600 girls in nine countries. Wow. And that page, just for those that are listening, you can't find that page. You have to be invited. It is secret. It cannot be searched for. So um, if you happen to want to be added to it, just email me at jan at provisionproject.org. So tell us a little bit about Provision Project. Well, um, through these last three years, as we've um, worked with, you know, all of these women in increasing numbers, uh, as Paul had said earlier, everybody's got their story. Um, I prefer to add women to the booby buddies that are really hurting and don't have a support system. We've got a lot of single moms. We've got a lot of moms that are in, or people and women in, that are in wrecked marriages. Um, we've got a lot of gals that financially are in trouble. Um, we just, we have a heart for them. We want to come around them and support them. I mean, breast cancer is no joke. It is a team sport, it affects every aspect of your life. And um, these gals that, previously did not have a lot of support come into the booby buddies and instantly really have a family. And, um, in many instances there are are women physically geographically around them that they can see face to face certain instances. I mean, we've got a gal in Germany that's there by herself, but she's connected online with the rest of us, which we know is a help. Um, but so many of the gals we've heard story after story, right? Paula, Mm -hmm. um, My electricity is getting turned off because I had to pay my copay for chemo. Um, I have to have a PET scan, so says my oncologist, but my insurance won't cover it because of the new laws under the Affordable Care Act. Um, You know, we keep hearing these stories, and we just decided, a group of our leadership team decided that we would put together a nonprofit, an official nonprofit, to be able to help bridge the gap financially for some of these gals. Um, so because they really don't know what they're facing. Oh,
2: I mean, yeah. I think that's like, you know, considering what Paula ended up doing for a living. You know, she didn't have anyone like she herself. Mm-hmm. And did you take advantage of someone like Paula or Paula? As, I mean, how did you navigate? You kind of had to figure it out yourself as well.
4: Well, it was those 10 girlfriends right. that I really went to, right, that were my patient navigators. But even in the in the cancer center that I went to, I didn't have someone like Paula. Because
2: the industry is, is I, at least what I have heard and any of the clients that I have that have had to struggle with this, is it 's almost like different you hear different information everywhere mm-hmm. you go sure. there isn 't like a collected amount of information that that 's what you want to do that 's right. the way to go and and people hear so many different things from doctors, and doctors have such different
4: opinions yeah one of the things that I have found with the booby buddies is that um there is a kind of tribal knowledge mm-hmm. that you know uh, like gals will come in, they could be from a different part of the country. And they'll say, um, gosh, I'm having trouble with my newlasta shot. Nulasta new is an injection that girls on chemotherapy would get um, to increase their white blood cell count. Um, they're struggling because as the white blood cells replicate, it get, can give them quite a bit of pain. Um, they'll come to the Boobie Buddies page and say, eh, I'm you know, dying from the pain with Newlasta.' And we can very easily say, well, gosh, don't know if your chemo nurse might have told you, but... Um, if you take Claritin and leave prior to Nulasta, that may relieve some of your pain. There are there are these things that not every doctor, not every chemo nurse. Not every oncologist, not every radiologist will say the same thing to every patient. They just can't. They're human. Well, in some of it, they probably
2: aren't allowed to say, use claritin for this.
4: No, they, no. I mean, I I think we see it in many of the on-centers mm, okay. that they do that. They do. But, yeah. Um, but they may not have just, they may no, not have communicated right, it, right? And it's then, kind of urban knowledge. Right. And then that gal just is suffering and is going, I can't believe this, you know, that I'm suffering through this. You know, I have a really strong feeling that you don't need to suffer through cancer. I grew up um, thinking that I had my own visions of what cancer would be, but I came to learn that um, there are so many solutions in the year 2015. Um, Doctors do not want you to vomit, for example. There are drugs that will cause you to not, they don't want you to become dehydrated. If you become too dehydrated, you're in the hospital. And so there are solutions for all of these things that happen um, when it comes to cancer. And I just tell our girls, you just you need to pay attention. You need to ask your oncologist. You need to ask us as a as a group of women that have been through it for solutions. And traditionally, there is something. I mean, it is not pleasant, but you don't need to get thrown into the hospital at every turn. You know,
2: right? Oh, I think that's really powerful for people to hear because whenever mm-hmm. anyone hears that diagnosis, what they think is. You know, all the movies they've seen, sure. all the stories they've heard of just horrific, um, a, a horrific journey. Not not that it is a comfortable journey mm-hmm. or necessarily always feels like a safe journey, but it is a journey that is livable.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: And I think that's important for people to hear. Absolutely. So I, I think what we're going to do, I, you know, we, we have a half hour left of this show. And what I would like to do is maybe start this next segment with helping people understand some of the insurance issues that you have found that you have to go through. And not like you're going to give solutions for people on air, but just an idea of, of what we may be looking at in some, some different techniques or or, or resources. Mm-hmm. So I'm so glad that you guys are here today. And I really am honored that you are on and telling your stories. And so we're going to, this is Cynthia Hyde with Conversations with Cynthia. And Join me in the next segment. If you can't hear this show in its entirety, please visit my website at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Go to the radio tab, and this will be on that site as a podcast you can download. So join us in the next segment. Welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia. This is Cynthia Hyatt, and I'm so glad that you are joining me today. I have with me Paula Miller and Jen James, and they are breast cancer survivors, and they have quite a story and, and a lot of really amazing information, which is one of the reasons I'm having them on the show today. I'm collaborating with them on doing four-part series really about breast cancer, facing breast cancer, the... the um, the state, the faces of breast cancer and dealing with the diagnosis. And then we're going to talk about compassion, fatigue, caregiver, burnout, and grief and loss. So I think it's going to be very helpful for you. If you are experiencing it yourself, if you have experienced it, um, if you know someone that is having to face this, I think this will be a very helpful series. So Jan, we left off with you. You gave us a teeny bit about your story and I kind of launched you off to the provision project, which is exciting, but we are going to talk about that one as well next week. So, I wanted both of you guys to talk a little bit about insurance because that's a nightmare for people. And maybe it doesn't have to be, but my impression is it is, can be quite a nightmare.
3: Well, I think just about the time we think we've figured out insurance companies, they've changed, especially with the change in health care, uh, Affordable Care Act, and those sort of things. Um, and I know that just talking with women, there tends to be a lot of animosity. Insurance companies don't care. Insurance companies don't want to pay. I mean, we hear that mm-hmm. all the time. It's all about the pharmaceutical companies and you know, we gotta remember that these places are businesses. And just like our mom and pop place, this is a business. And so they do the best they can, especially with all the changes. Um,
2: so maybe her, not to see them all right off the bat is the enemy. Yeah,
3: you know, deep down they, they do their best. Is that politically correct? <laughs> but they do. I mean, well, they I do, do think their there's best. a lot
2: of nice people that are working in these positions.
3: And realistically, um, we do have to take responsibility for our own policies because we really need to be aware of what we have. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't have insurance. Um, The marketplace is a place to go to um, for um, insurance.
2: The marketplace. What do you mean the marketplace? For the
3: federal government. Okay. um, Obamacare. Obamacare. Okay. Um, So you have to be really careful about what you pick and choose. It might look really good on numbers and, oh, my – Deductible's only this, and my premium's only this, um but you really have to read into policies, and I think that's really important to do and the hard part is while you're while you're going through all of this, most of us don't know our insurance until all of a sudden we have a travesty that we need to take care of I mean let's be real honest, I didn't. Mm-hmm. I just went, yeah, okay, bill me um and then all of a sudden, those bills added up. I was blessed enough to have very generous friends and family, so our high deductible um wasn't as much of an issue as it's been, but I do remember that. Hey, we have this new drug, and it's going to be six hundred dollars. And you need it before every chemotherapy. Are you Are you kidding me?
2: So, so so if you're someone that doesn't understand policy, like I know that, I mean, I am not. I'm intelligent, obviously, but there's a lot of nomenclature when reading insurance that you know you may not know what you're reading. Is there some somewhere something that people can do that they can get help with understanding their policy so they really know what they have?
3: It's twofold. Okay, there's always social workers. Or financial advisors in every office and every hospital. Okay. So After
2: they've been diagnosed. Correct. Okay.
3: Um, Also, there's a 1-800 number on the back. Call them. They want to help you. They want you to understand your policy just as much. Yes, unfortunately, it's probably, you know, thank you for calling. Pick one for this. Pick four for that. And you have to go through it to get a human being. Don't just hit zero, zero, zero. Just wait for that person. Be patient because they're there for a purpose. They're going to walk you through it. Same on the marketplace for um, cancer.org on the, I think it's, or gov um, for um, Obamacare. There's navigators on there. There's a 1-800 number on the main page as soon as you click on to find a policy. Call that 800 number. Get a navigator. They're going to walk you through that. Um, And then there's just all sorts of things. You know, There are people out there that want to help, just like the provision projects getting started um i always say there's no pride in a cancer diagnosis use that cancer card because we all want to someday not have to use it and so um there's a website that was developed called www.azbreastcancer.org say that that one more time (laughs) www.azbreastcancer.org it's all one word um about 150 different financial service programs on there, all the way from housekeeping, transportation, community partnering. Most of them are Arizona-based, but some of them are nationally based. You just have to do the work. Um, I wish there was a magic wand that would help us all get it, but you just got to do the work. Go through there, find one that works for you. There is granting for um, adult children going back to college for parents who have breast cancer. So those those sort of things, and you just got to put your pride aside because in the end, you're going to give back to somebody else. We all want to do that, and that's what it's about.
2: Well, I think it's important for for listeners to hear that there certainly are resources and there are ways to understand the resource that you have, which is imperative because one of the more stressful things about battling an illness is having to do it as you go. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. if you kind of have a better understanding, you can advocate better for yourself. If you don't have the wherewithal to do it, you're spun out with the diagnosis, you're afraid, you're, whatever that is, you find someone that can help you do that. Mm-hmm. So this is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. We have one more segment as we come to the end of this hour, and I want you to join me again with Paula Miller and Jen James as we look at this issue of facing breast cancer. Well, welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia. This is Cynthia Hyatt, and I'm always so very thankful that you joined me. I have a great show today with two uh, amazing women. They are breast cancer survivors with tremendous stories that we are actually going to talk at length about uh, next week. This week, we are talking about facing breast cancer and what it means when you get that diagnosis, how you're going to maneuver through that system, what it means if you know someone, if you're the caregiver, the spouse, the mom the brother, the sister, the friend, whoever, that, that knows this person is now facing this daunting diagnosis. So, so Jan, you and I were kind of talking during the, the break there about financially just what the numbers sometimes can look like.
4: Yeah, it's staggering. Yes. There's no question that it's staggering. So I mentioned in an earlier segment about the new Lasta shot that helps your white blood count go up. Um, those shots, one shot is $5,800. Oh, my. OK, one shot. That is staggering. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, and when you find that, you're like, I mean, it's yeah, it's nuts. Um, I My uh, diagnosis was on January 5th. And I went back to work on December 26th of 2012 so in essence 2012 was my cancer year start to finish and um, it seems like had...
2: it was longer than that
4: <laughs> for both of us I, just... <laughs> I would say yeah but um, the recap for taxes and everything is it, it was just over a quarter of a million dollars oh my goodness yeah, mm-hmm. in one year and that's that I was hospitalized twice uh, during that time but you know isn't
2: that just a God thing that God is not daunted at, in any way by numbers and at right. the same time he says how much you are very
4: worth mm-hmm. that you are worth that amount of spending money that that you're indeed. worth spending that much money on. Indeed. And we'd spend a million on you. Yeah, indeed. Back to what Paula had said about yeah. the financial advice. Yeah, you don't that.
2: you don't like it when I say really,
4: really nice things to you. <laughs> <laughs> Let's blow that yeah, Whole yeah, different segment.
2: Yeah, yeah thanks thank, a lot,
4: Cynthia, thank whatever. You. Yeah,
3: <laughs> totally different show. <laughs> thanks,
4: Cynthia. <Okay. laughs> thank you for saying thank but you. But I don't want to lose this. <laughs> I don't want to lose my train of thought is my deal. Um The financial advisor at my oncology center actually came to me uh, in January. I happen to be someone that has HER2 positive, HER2 positive breast cancer. So that is a relatively aggressive breast cancer, and there is a drug called Herceptin um, that fights that. And she came to me in January of uh, 2013. I had to do a year of Herceptin, so I was still doing it. She said, hey, Uh, Genentech, who is the maker of Herceptin, um, is granting $2,500 grants to people that are on the drug. Would you like to apply? Well, that took care of my um, deductible for the year. I mean, what a blessing that was. Wow. So
2: it really is about letting your doctor advocate for you and asking, yeah. maybe asking your doctor, do you
4: are, have you heard of anything out there? I think to go to the financial mm-hmm. advisor or buddy, oh, okay. buddy up to the financial okay. advisor at your oncology center is okay. really the trick. Or if you have a patient navigator at right. your oncology center and then you have something else too. Well, pop. even for
3: the BRCA testing, mm-hmm. there are grants provided by the companies that have developed the BRCA testing So um, seeing a genetic counselor, they're really the ones that are going to key in on um, where those finances can come from, how it can be properly applied to your insurance. You know, it's kind of interesting. A lot of surgeons do the BRCA testing in their office. That way they can get it back within a two-week notice, and they can determine, because typically if you're BRCA positive, you're going to have a double mastectomy. That's the going algorithm. There's not too much variance from that. Um, But... With that, um, what most people don't know, including some physicians, and and that's all about educating the physicians as much as as the women and their families, is there, as I said earlier, up to 30 different genes that we can test for out of the 20, 30,000 genes of a body um, that have a link to breast cancer. The 30-gene panel is actually cheaper than just the BRCA1, BRCA2. BRCA1, BRCA2 is about 4500 give or take, depending on the laboratory that they use this 30 gene panel that they do is actually 1500 and it covers the BRCA1 BRCA2 you can get that with back within two weeks so we're not prolonging your surgery and then you also get the other remaining 20 to 28 different genes following that that it just in case the BRCA1 BRCA2 doesn't come through positive now remember only 10% of women diagnosed with breast cancer are actually genetically linked To the BRCA1, BRCA2, I I have a feeling if we really looked at numbers, it would change differently to these milder what they call syndromes that have these other links to them. Um, So it'd be interesting to know if that's changed at all, but it's really still only 10%, so it's very, very small. So when those BRCA1s, BRCA2s come back, that's great for that surgical plan at that time. But when a family, I know know a woman whose family history was as in-depth as mine, and it came back negative. So she went through and had further panel testing, and they found a, a mild um, link to something different. All that being said, insurance may not cover the extensive panel once you've already had the brca one brca two so, done. You know, I think so, just
2: just listening you to you, yeah, I think just listening to you talk is <coughs> is a great example of why we want to encourage people to have somebody that's a navigator. If you if you if your hospital you can't find the navigator, that you find a friend that can invest. A spouse, a, a parent, uh, whoever, can really invest in searching out some of these different things and to really take advantage of the oncology center at whatever hospital that you're at.
3: But that's also why it's so important to get connected in a group of women, just like Boobie yes. Buddies or, or a local hospital support group. These are the people who are in it. They're in the trenches. They've been there. They've done that. And it's also important to get involved even if you're out of treatment. Um, a lot of times that PTSD kicks in mm-hmm. and you think, oh, I'm done. I don't need it. Um, and you still need it. But someone's going to be missing out on your path.
2: Well, I think that's the important, you know, when I talk about the whole caregiver burnout and compassion fatigue, it's this idea that we are comforting others. We are caring for others to get through it, but also then to get on with it. And so there's a two part issue that is many times forgotten, and the getting on with it Sometimes it's just as daunting as the actual battle. Mm-hmm. The battle is more, you know, specific. It's, there, there's very specific hoops to jump through. The getting on with life after you've had this event can be very, very difficult, very daunting, very lonely, and the PTSD can mm-hmm. really start to kick in. And if you're not really connected mm-hmm. with a group of people, mm-hmm. because your hospital people are like, done, we're good, way to go, right. on to their next patient, you know, but it's really staying connected like you guys have been and the things that you guys have created.
4: A lot of our girls will talk about the fact that when treatment ends, they've been seeing the same people over and over again for weeks or months. And then treatment ends and then they're petrified yes. because no one's really paying attention to their health or speaking into their lives from a breast cancer point of view. And they freak out. Truly. Well, you know,
2: it, the same I, I can I can kind of compare that to my mother. You know, my father was in hospice for that mm. whole year and, well, 14 months in the hospital hospice. Well, she became such good friends with all of his caregivers. It was a community. She was there twice a day. Right. So when he passed away, she had a whole community of people that she was no longer involved with. And the loneliness of that,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know, certainly missing my father was is its own grief and loss process. But the loneliness of an entire lifestyle, community sharing with people so i think that's really that's part of what the booby buddies is provision project is about right mm-hmm. yes yeah i think Absolutely. that's that's it's very powerful so when you talk about some of these like insurance things that what else do people go through when they're facing this diagnosis
4: you know i'm i may not answer this is not answering your question but i have something <laughs> that's okay i have something that i don't want to forget okay. to say uh, and Paula, you can help me with this as well. I am absolutely, I think one of the hardest things for me to understand after my diagnosis was that in the media for my entire life, I have heard that family history was a really critical part of whether or not you get breast cancer. Is, is the percentage 85% of women don't, that don't have family history? Do you know what the number is? It's yeah, like, it's about
3: that. It's only 10% of survivors actually have a genetic link.
4: Okay, so there has been so much focus. Oh, I'm so glad you brought
3: that There's up. There's
4: so much focus on the family history aspect, and we're even talking about BRCA and that kind of thing. But it's still important um, no, but I because think everyone always
3: says, oh, it's breast cancer. It's not. It's liver, lung, Pancreas, colon, pancreatic, right. some testicular, um, skin cancer, Um, brain, stomach, I mean, and once you throw in those gastric um, issues, that kind of changes in many ways away from the BRCA1, BRCA2 towards something else. Um, So it's important to know your family history of what cancers, what age were they diagnosed, but what age did they pass away from? You know, you might have somebody diagnosed at 50 of colon cancer, but they die of heart disease at 85. That's still really important to know because that's healing factor that also allows physicians to take a look at it and maybe it's not as severe
2: but i, I think it's an important point it, that you guys are making because it really does give people this pass like i you know if you have no history of cancers in your family then you're that you're good to go and you know i know not in true. my family not that's true. not true mm-hmm. you know i have a sibling that's struggling with cancer and there is absolutely zero family mm-hmm. history mm-hmm. of that and yeah. so it just popped up out of nowhere mm-hmm. so i think it's a, it really is important for people to say i just need to be on top of my health Period. The number
3: one um, red flag for women in breast cancer, are you ready? Being a woman. Yes.
2: That's it. (laughs) Exactly. So
3: everyone has that red flag. Everybody has that you need to be aware because it's there and you can't get around gender. So that's the beginning of taking a look at yourself, advocating for your health, knowing your body um, better than anybody else. No one's going to know it better than you. And then know what signs and symptoms to look for. Um, and then progressively go from there. And, and really, you, you do. You have to fight for yourself and fight for your own health.
2: And
4: denial is
2: really deadly.
4: Oh, Really literally. deadly. Yes. You know, it's interesting because when I think back to prior to my diagnosis, I did have um, nipple discharge um, mm-hmm. that I went, oh, I, you know, oh, that's funny. What's if Something is dry and flaky and, you know, I didn't understand what that was. But that was the precursor to my cancer, and I just wasn't educated enough to understand that that was one of the signs.
2: So it really is understanding changes. And yeah. I think the
4: older that you get, your body
2: changes a lot. And so sometimes mm-hmm. you think, oh, that's just part of getting old. Mm-hmm. you know. And it really is important when you're advocating for your own health that the more on top of it you are, just like if you have a little baby. I mean, that's what we mm-hmm. do for babies. We are on top of their health mm-hmm. and little children. We are watching all the time. We're saying, that doesn't look right. That's strange. And we need to incorporate that into our own lives that I become the primary caregiver of me and just as aware and just as committed. And that's hard to do because, you know, we have self-worth issues and that gets in the way. And sometimes we don't think we're worth spending that much time. We don't want to go to the doctor and spend extra money and it's not that bad. And so I think it's good to have this awareness to be able to say anything that seems like a a significant change, a difference. That you would want That's to check exactly
3: out. exactly it. You know, I was part of an initiative for young women, 45 and younger, and we surveyed about 500 women who were diagnosed with breast cancer under 45, um, how they found their lump. 70, I think it was 71% found it themselves or their spouse or significant other found it too. So you're going to know your body the best, and and we've discussed this before. It's knowing what your normal is. If you've always had one breast that's been larger than the other your entire life or you've had, a it might sound funny, a third nipple or an indented nipple or something most of your life, then we don't need to necessarily worry about that. But if you've looked, quote, normal, and now you have dimpling, redness, hot to the touch, thickness of the skin, um, literally, I've known women whose nipples have fallen off and they thought, oh, it's not a big didn't right. think that, right. that's not a normal, right. certainly not for you. Right. That, those are the times that you go to your physician and have those checked out.
2: Well, I think that those are really important things to recognize. And hopefully with this show, we're helping people to recognize that, yes, it can be daunting if, if you're certainly not living a life of denial. But if you <laughs> do have to face that diagnosis, but there are resources, there are ways to do it. There are people that have been through it like you guys and countless others that have overcome it that have lived through it, that are going on to have a great life in spite of that and have a great, amazing story of what God can do. Mm-hmm. And so there is hope and there is life. And it's imperative that we encourage people to really be taking advantage of the resources that we have, regardless of how the media tries to play it, that there's no help out there because there is. There is. So give us a, how you can get a hold of how people can get a hold of you guys in the last like 15
4: seconds we have. Um, If you'd like to know more about the Provision Project, uh, the email is jan at provisionproject.org. Okay. And actually,
3: just email Jan if you want to get a hold of me. That's probably the easiest way since we're running out of time.
2: (laughs) Contact my secretary. Okay, there you go. (laughs) No. Well, you um, guys, it has been great to have you today. So thank you for joining me today on Conversations with Cynthia. Join me next week as we look at the many faces of breast cancer and have a blessed week. ...and
1: teachings shared during this show are given as a way to teach listeners with ideas and insights about how to become your own best version. Cynthia is available as a keynote or guest speaker for corporate or spiritual events. To contact Cynthia, go to CynthiaHyatt.com. If you missed any part of this program, you can hear a replay at any time at FaithTalk1360.com. Join us again next Sunday at 4 p.m. for conversations with Cynthia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ.